everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. All right, we're here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. This is, as usual, uh, this is Eric Wright. I'm the host for your podcast today. Uh, thanks for listening to the Disco Posse podcast. Uh, super proud. We've got uh, a very interesting guest today. This is something that we don't get a chance to you know, go outside the lines you know, in the early, early shows and really kind of tapped into traditional, I uh, really hit a lot of technology stuff. And, and the more and more I talk with people and the more that people give feedback, they kind of, they love more the stories and, and these very interesting guests and conversations we have. So I'm going to have a, uh, we're going to have a fun one today. Uh, with that, I want to welcome Somebody who uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting and, and working with uh, at, a, at a trade show of all things. So uh, I'd like to introduce Rory Wheeler. Uh, Rory, if you want to introduce yourself, tell us where we can find you online. And we're going to talk today about the magic of marketing. Sure. So, um, well, Eric, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it, it is great working with you and, and a pleasure to be here today with you. Um, if you're looking for me, you can find me at just roarcommunications.com and um, like I said I'm well I said it before we dropped but um, I'm just launching the website today and this is sort of a crossover uh, between what I used to do and what I'm doing now full-time so well not just full-time it's just another branch of what I'm doing so yeah it's it's another yeah. of the 17 full-time jobs you possess <laughs> Welcome to entrepreneurship. Isn't it great? <laughs> That's the way it is. <laughs> uh, I think I, I, I wanted you know, to quote the great James Lipton of Inside the Actor's Studio. Yeah, we start as always from the beginning. How, how did you get to be what you do? Uh, you know, I, I obviously, I was lucky enough to see your, your presentation and, and work with you at, a, at an event we were able to... And, what you were doing at that point was working for a company with a company called the Infotainers and and doing uh, doing magic as part of uh, a booth presentation, and this is very very cool for folks who've seen it. You've probably been to events and you'll see people who are are kind of doing crowd gathering, but not just crowd gathering. Really, there's much more to it. We'll go into that a bit deeper. But hey, that just didn't happen by accident. How did how did magic become a thing that you 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 started to love? Sure. Yeah. So, well, obviously, like you said, you know, we met through the infotainers and Anders and um, just a quick shout out to him. So uh, if you want to find Anders, you can go to tradeshowinfotainer.com and he's obviously awesome at what he does. Um, but yeah, my background, I started uh, doing close up magic when I was five years old. I saw a Brady Bunch episode and uh, Peter Brady wanted to um, learn magic for a talent show. And I just saw it and kind of caught, caught the bug and, um, just sort of as fate would have it, there was a magic shop in the mall where my mom was getting her hair done. So my mom started letting me skip school and, um, I'd go once a week and get magic lessons. And, and, and I, it was just sort of something I, I was passionate about my whole life. 
um, it took a backseat to sports. And then when I was 19, I, I gave up my, I had a basketball scholarship. I gave up my, my college basketball scholarship and moved to New York. And I started doing, uh, you know, just pursuing how to, uh, how to do magic. And, and I got really lucky and, uh, Matt Dillon's manager picked me up and, um, and that was it, as they say, that was history. So I started working, uh, you know, sort of high end events when I was 19 and I've been doing it ever since. There's that weird combination. I always love the, I always love people tell me their story of luck and, and what they don't tell you is the 180,000 hours of, of work that went into getting to that lucky moment. Like you obviously, you committed early, you know, and regulated this stuff. Like what was, what was a practice regimen like when you were picking this stuff up? You know, there was, it wasn't like playing the piano, right? So there's Stephen King tells this great story about his son and his son, I guess, heard the, the horn player for Bruce Springsteen and the son wanted to, to play. Um, he wanted to play the horn. So Stephen got him lessons in a horn and he never wanted to practice when it wasn't practice time. And that's the exact opposite of me. I, you know, if I had free time, I, even now, like you saw at the trade show, um, I have something in my hands that I'm playing with or I'm developing. And so whether, you know, when I was growing up, I was really focused on magic. What I didn't realize till later was that it was learning how to communicate and use those communication skills um, sort of in a different way. But, um, but it's always playing with something, whether it's, it's a coin or a ring or a piece of information, and then how do you deliver that? Um, so really, there wasn't a set regiment, Eric. It was more, um, <laughs> it was more keeping, keeping focus on, on what I was supposed to be doing <laughs> rather than <laughs> what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, and this is, the, this is what's fun for people when they find that thing. I think that's one of the most compelling challenges that everybody faces is like what is your thing you know i i i always say that i'm a i'm a you know a professional guitarist with no income and so i took up a side gig as a technology evangelist because it pays way better and (laughs) but it's it i always had that other thing and even like when i was playing guitar when i learned how to play it i learned how to play like a lick and then i learned how to play a song yeah and i didn't care about learning like scales. I understand the theory of music. I understand all that stuff. And I, I studied the way people played. Yep. Not, not like what, like this fellow is playing the Phrygian mode at the seventh position. Like not, none of that mattered to me. I <laughs> loved that I could learn the language yeah. because I could communicate peop- with people to unlock what I really needed to learn, which was right. how did that thing work and get them to show me. And when I saw it, then I'm a, I'm a very visual person. Uh, it's, uh, I'm not smart with reading, you know, like I can't, I look at pages and it's like, doesn't jump out at me. So I'm like, when I see it happen or I hear it, it stood out and same. You know, so when you see like the way that you do, you know, and I watched your, your, your stuff you do, you know, at least as part of the, like, not just in the show, like here's me doing yeah. stuff that's going to get people's attention, but like, you know, just watch the way, like you said, it's, it's always happening. It's always there. It's just part of you. Mm-hmm. not many people find that right and I, that's the way if i could ever find this if i could have my startup goal one day is be a it'll be called unlocking you and that would be it right how do i find that thing that everybody loves and, and give it to them because it's in there yeah. 
Well, well, it's, you know, I definitely think it's in there. I mean, I think we're all created uniquely with certain talents and gifts and obviously meeting you, hanging out with you. Um, you're definitely interesting. So I don't know how much your listeners know about you as far as the running and, you know, the coffee and all the other stuff, but, um, you're one of the few people, and, and this is for the listeners, Eric's one of the few people that I've met that actually, um, he knows a wealth of knowledge about a number of things. And usually when I talk to people, because I read a lot and because I have a lot of experience studying human behavior, there's a lot of topics that people don't know about. Well, Eric knew about everything I knew about, and then he'd take it to like the nth degree. So I was like... Eric, you're awesome, man. We're going to hang out. So, um, <laughs> it's a misspent youth. And luckily, I, I managed to spend it in the right directions and a few different things. So it's, uh... But you know, you know what's interesting? I think that those are the things of, of that's how people find really what they were meant to do, right? Like I, literally, I was at Starbucks this morning and I don't drink coffee, but I was picking some up for my wife and I'm sitting in the drive-thru and I finally this morning felt like, you know what, I think I finally found what I want to do coming into my own. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm 41 and it's taken me years and years and years of wandering around um, and, and yep. trying different things and combining different things and finally finding that these things combine into something that is really different and really interesting. Um, but it's, um, you know, it took a lot of wandering around going, why don't I fit anywhere? You know? It's probably because what I want to do isn't common. It's not, um, you know, it, it's not commonplace. And so there's no path. You have to beat that path yourself a little bit. Yeah, but that's, and there's a, an amazing capability now that we've got so much freedom to, to try stuff and we can do other things. You know, not too many years, especially, you know, too many decades ago, like we didn't have access to information like we do today. We didn't have yeah. access to, you know, being able to do things at a scale that you can do. Like, you know, I, I look at my experience in technology and, and, and watching this change over time and watching people, you know, I look at the way that we, mm -hmm. we take in media and information. Like it's so vastly different now and uh, not always good, you know, but it's different yeah. and it's always going to change. And, and, and I kind of love that. So it's, and I'm, I'm with you. What's the fr the phrase? I forget who the original you know originator was that said, "Not all those who wander are lost." Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it. I I did a ton of different things as a youth, uh, and as an old youth, and as a, an old as a you know a young old person as I am now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's I'm never gonna stop. Like I I just see this thing. I'm like, ooh, I want to see if I can be kind of good at this, so I know whether I should keep going. And then. Yeah, it doesn't always stick, and but it's it's fun to just try. Well, it's, it's like you said, and and you know, I think this is a, a a shout out for people viewing who are wandering around, going, "Where do I fit?" Out of my life, going, "Man, I'm just lost. What am I doing?" And that at some point, like you said, hopefully those things converge into knowing what you want to do, or you know why you've been put here, and and that sort of sort of thing. Um, but I, I think one thing you keyed on too, Eric, is like, I think a lot of us, um, you feel like 
the exploration is sort of what makes you great. Like I think they talked about um, Edison and Edison and Franklin were these guys that they'd spend a lot of time reading and researching. So they didn't get ahead as early in life. But as they got older, they just had the sort of wealth of knowledge where they could touch on any topic, any subject. Um, so I think that that's a really important, um, it, it's a really important skill set, right? Because I think so much of our culture is, um, it's really predicated on performance. If you do well, then you're good. And if you do bad, then you're horrible. And that's definitely been a lot of my background. Um, but that really, doesn't free people up to allow them to explore maybe what they're interested in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, totally. And there's this thing, if I look a great book that explores kind of like corporate culture and, and a lot of it's more than it's, that was the, the, the reason for it. it was called the culture code. And, and really one of the core tenets in there is that the safety and the, the, the feeling of belonging allows for teams to experiment, you know, aggressively because they know mm -hmm. that like, Hey, if this goes sideways, I'm not getting fired. <laughs> yeah. You got my back, right? I got people that I trust. And it's this whole thing when you hear the famous phrase, you know, fail, fail early, fail often. That was like, they attributed it to IBM and they're like, ah, oh, it's because it's all about failure. No, it like, it doesn't mean fail as in like tip over or face plant. It means fail as in like try, figure out where yeah. it doesn't work. And that was, I think it was Edison's thing. He said, you know, someone said like, you did all these things and you have all these patents or whatever this, that, that didn't work. And he says, I just found out 10,000 ways that it, that doesn't work so that I could find the one that does. And, yeah. and if you did, if you just like picked one thing, stuck to it and then, and then it doesn't work. And then you believe that's the end. <laughs> then, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be our, it's going to be a rough life. If that's, if you think the only path is the one you're on and that's, that's what really frustrates me when I see people and, and they haven't, not, sorry, sorry, frustrated, like, like I'm angry at them, but I mean frustrating that they haven't been able to understand that they don't have to fear another way to get to something. And it's, you know, just people are, are honed in on the, the way they're doing it is the only thing that's right. And it's like, I've always believed it's your, I want to seek the right answer, not being right. The whole thing of like people, they get they 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 pick a thing and they pick a path to that thing and then that when that path doesn't work out mm. they believe the thing is inaccessible and it's that's not what it was is that you were so you were married to the path not to the thing and it's yeah. and that's you know, whatever they you know keep your eyes on the prize not the price whatever like all those crazy like motivational <laughs> phrases you can jam in there that's that's really what it is like those those motivational things these little witticisms that we, we, we continue to quote, they're, they're there for a reason. Like it's actually kind of legitimate. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a big thing for me is like, don't attach to the outcome. Right. Um, so, you know, a little bit more about me when I got to NYU, I wanted to be an actor and um, I didn't want to be just another headshot in the pile. So I started using magic to find an agent and that's what happened. And, the agent said, well, you know, you're talented, but you have no clue how to act. So I'm going to send you to theater school. Um, and he sent me to some of the best people in the world as far as learning um, the art of theater, which I didn't know it. Um, and I'm fast forwarding a little bit. But what, what theater really is on a high level is the study of human behavior. 
So everything from the writer to um, to the actor to the director, it's really what do you know about life? Um, and so I was studying theater with this guy named John Strasberg, and John is he he's like a rocket scientist, um, which we could talk about. <laughs> we could talk about a long time about John. He is just one of the greatest teachers I've I've had, but um, but he used to always talk about like don't attach to the outcome and that the process is the result. He also talked about getting very comfortable with the unknown so that you could stay focused and you could be present with people. And it's almost like those skill sets are now, I think the skill sets that are needed to be successful in business um, and, and in your personal life as well, because you see a lot more when you're not so focused on yourself, where you're able to look at other people and, and get to know who they are. Um, which maybe, maybe that's rambling a bit, but I say this because it is those John would have these things that he'd say and they were super powerful where, you know, I think he actually stole one from Martha Graham where he'd say the body, <laughs> he says the body never lies, but it's true. Um, and so, you know, you can watch people and you can see what they're thinking. And this is an esoteric thing. This is literally, you can see what they're thinking and then you can, help them get what they want or you can create rapport or um, you know you can communicate with them on, a, on a, a much more present deeper level because of what you're seeing um, but but yeah you know I think we got on that because we we're talking about um, these little aphorisms that people say and I know that th that those things they are said for a reason because lots of times they, they're they're powerful and true yeah, I mean, we, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not so much so that I've got like the picture of the cat hanging out the laundry wire going, hang in there, darling, or whatever. Like, I don't like that. I'm not quite that, that stuck on crazy, you know, uh, witty posters, you know, but like that's like what I look for is uh, I love chasing the history of how those things came to be. And mm. what's funny is you find these quotes that you can't actually, you find like eight originating speakers to it and you realize like oh it's because this this has been around for a while so you find you know this was said by steve jobs well actually no it was actually said by you know uh somebody you know before that and then I, i'm like <laughs> oh he got it from abraham lincoln and like oh it's actually from plato and you're like yeah. oh okay and then then you dig in and you read the republic by plato and now you know how steve jobs thinks like it's it's kind yeah. of bizarre but when you when you take these anecdotal things and then you chase the data that drove them, yeah, it gives you this incredible, uh, you know, this history. And so I'm now luckily old enough that, and I've, I'm weird enough that I love chasing the history more mm. than just attaching to the phrase. Like I'm, uh, I'd never wanted a tattoo because I never thought anything was that permanent, you know? <laughs> you and I are on the same page. I actually wanted one, but I couldn't find something permanent, permanent enough to put on me. And, and part of it was like, I just knew that I was going to evolve and, and, and I wanted people around me. I was always sort of, and again, like I say, I'm frustrated. You know, I'm, I, I, I'm worried sometimes when I see people, they're kind of like, this is the moment that I'm going to choose forever. And you're like, mm -hmm you know, whether it's a tattoo, it's a career, it's, it's a lot of things. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, it's a really tough thing. And, you know, and even like over time, our jobs change, our personalities change, our, our goals. Mm -hmm. And 
we used to like you used to start off as a kid and you would get a job in the mailroom. And that was the goal, right? You'd watch these, you know, movies and all this stuff, but somebody that got a job in the mailroom. And then one, one day they became like the CEO. And I actually worked at a company where there were people that literally started in the print shop. Mm-hmm. And they had worked there as a summer student and then they stayed and the next, you know, they were in a mainframe environment. And the next, thing you know, they're like senior vice president of, you know, a particular area of the business. Yeah. And I was like, wow, but you know what happens to, if you get hired in the mailroom today, do you know what you are in 20 years? The head of the mailroom. Like that's, <laughs> it's very different. So, but what you can do is you can find your growth in other ways, which is the kind of the fun part. Well, you know, it, it's funny you're talking about the mailroom. Um, talent agencies, they used to start all of their agents in the mailroom. So they need the whole process. So, um, I used to be signed by Paradigm uh, Talent Agency and agent there that I worked with, um, he started in the mailroom, believe it or not. Nice. (laughs) The last of a generation that probably could get away with it, right? It probably was the last. And, and, you know, he was a hardworking guy, but he uh, but he did it. And, and, you know, uh, you're a music aficionado, you know, uh, you know, Donnie Einer, right? I do not actually. So there you go. Now I got to do research. <laughs> <laughs> well, Donnie Einer was the head of Columbia Records. So um, he also started in the mailroom. And I knew I was buddies with his son, Jason, when I was in college. And um, but the same thing. I mean, he literally worked himself from the mailroom to the head of Columbia Records. Wow. Yeah. And so I guess that's the trick, right? If we look at the, the real story behind the kid that got hired in the mailroom was somebody that said like they, they were on the, they were riding the mail cart and then they looked over and said, Hey, what do you guys do in this department? <laughs> and then, and that, and they're like, do you need help? And that's yeah. really what gets you. You don't just start in the mail room and then you progressively every six months, like, okay, mail room, you know, analyst three, you're, you're mail room analyst four now. And then eventually you, you get an option to move out. But like, no, you, they probably sought it out. And that's yeah. the story that you never hear. It's this whole thing of like, oh, well, they were, they were born with it. And like, well, <laughs> they were born with the, the ability to seek it out and to be comfortable with failing along the way that's what they were born with and you can even learn that too i i've i've learned that one adversity teaches you a lot about you know how things can suck and then they can not suck because you make a choice about how you deal with it Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree with that one so the the fun thing is really you know this kind of goes back to what you do you know like you said magic is a is a way of interacting with people through communication you know whether it's nonverbal, verbal you know physical there's a lot of different aspects of it like it's you're really reading and and communicating with people and they don't even know that they're doing it which is even funnier like they're they're literally handing you information or things uh like there's a really really neat way that that comes out so how when did you realize like this is actually what i'm doing is learning people <laughs> sure um, that's a great question. I mean, there's a short and a long of it. Like, you know, the short of it is, I could probably say around 2006 or 2008. Um, and the, the reason being is I quit magic. I was like, I'll never do magic again in my life. Um, and, and the reason behind that was something that you touched on 
um, it, you know, it, it was, I guess, for back, lack of a better word, it was an identity crisis. And I think that I definitely was wrapped up in what I did. So I think, you know, okay, if we look culturally at how we relate to people, people will say, well, I'm a guitarist or I'm a, I'm a magician or I'm a communications expert or I'm a basketball player or I'm this. That's fundamentally not who you are. That's something that you do. Um, but I think that because of culture and communications, especially in America, um, it's maybe less so in the UK just for the way that their social dynamics are set up. But um, we, you know, I think in, like, let me back up for a second. In the UK, like you're born into more of an identity. It's more of a traditional sense of like, you are Lord John Biffin's daughter, right? You're a lady Biffin's like daughter and, you know, or Sir Elton John's, you know, whatever friend. So you don't really get, you know, and that's become less obviously now, but 200 years ago, that's your status in life and you're not moving up. Um, and I, you know, obviously in America, it all becomes predicated on, well, what's your job? Are you a CEO? Um, and I think that people assign value to those things, which is obvious. Um, but I don't think that that's what makes people valuable. And so, you know, are you willing to associate with people of low status, right? Like, are you willing to associate with that guy in the mail room? Um, right. And, and a lot of people aren't. And so they, they miss out on a lot of awesome people. Um, but, but yeah, so I'm saying that because I was definitely having an identity crisis uh, coming from a performance oriented background and, and I had achieved really high levels of success even, you know, by the time I was a freshman in college. Um, and, and then, you know, multiply that by six years, like you said, on this scene of celebrity scene. And I just realized everything was empty and I wanted no part of it. And, um, and I didn't know what to do. So I went and I worked at Apple and I did sales and then I went and taught tennis. And, um, I eventually, I, I came back to, um, the communication side of it later. Um, you know, did I tell you this story that no, like, no, I didn't tell you this. Yeah. We're, let's dig in. Okay. Well, so. I had been doing magic for celebrities for like a number of years and I quit and I gave away everything I owned and I said, I'd never come back to it. And, um, I was, gonna ask, was, there, was there like some like dramatic, like you standing aside, mushing things into a shiny silver garbage can. Like that's it. <laughs> no. well, well, literally I set a date, right? I hated it. Um, and I met, you know, there's a, another magician who was like one of the top young guys like myself. And we had heard about each other for years. And it's just funny because we were doing a party for, for Mayor Bloomberg. And um, we showed up and he had heard about me and I had heard about him, but we had never met. And I said, oh, do you like doing magic? And he gave me all the rigmarole, right? Where it was like, oh, I love it because I get to meet people and the da, 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 da. And then he said, what about you? And I said, no, I hate it. I just, I, I effing hate it. I never want to do magic again in my life. I, I just don't know what else to do. And uh, he was like, oh, that's funny. Me too. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, funny story. So I'll continue on with this because I just think it's interesting on what we're talking about. 
so I really did hate it. And so I did a good job at what I did, but I just didn't care to try to network and climb the ladder. And, um, and so I ended up hanging out with this guy who I thought was the janitor um, at this private party. And um, because we were hired through agents to be there. So I didn't know who had hired me. Well, I thought he was the janitor and it ends up, he was the person who hired us. Nice. And um, I just hung out with him like most of the night and uh, talked and stuff like that. The end of the night came and the other performer came up and this janitor who hired us, who wasn't a janitor, obviously, um, he was like, man, you were fantastic. He said this to the other performer and the, you know, the guy obviously felt good. And then he looked at me and he's like, but you were just so much better. And I was like, Oh, thank you. And it was a really embarrassing moment. And oh, I yeah. Yeah, tried yeah. to throw it back and I'm like, but he was great. And the guy's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. He was great, but you were just so much better. And I, uh, I just left it at that because it wasn't, you know, the guy wasn't going to change and it wasn't doing any, any good. The reason I tell the story is that it's interesting because you never know who you're working for. Right. And, if I would have treated this guy like a janitor, it would have been really bad for me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, but yeah, so it's just, it's interesting. So I really, I, I, I actually gave that magician who actually got me quite a bit of work afterwards. I gave him everything I owned, like all my magic props. I'm like, I'll never use these again. You know, June, 30th is the last day I will ever do magic in my life. And I gave him like thousands of dollars worth of props. And um, what ended up happening uh, was a friend of mine who was a kid's magician asked me to do a four-year-old's birthday party for her. And I'm like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll cover it. This was about two years later. And she's like, okay, but it's for four-year-olds. I'm like, no problem. I've got this. She's like, no, no, it's for four-year-olds. And I'm like, no problem. I've got this. And, you know, in my mind, I was so arrogant. I just thought, you know, hey, if I can do it for celebrities, I can do it for a four-year-old. And I went in and, Eric, it was a disaster. Like, you had birthday kids screaming and crying. The little girl stood up and she was crying. And she was like, he sucks. Oh, no. These kids just ran me over. Like, I had no clue. Um, and the problem was that I was making it all about me. And four-year-olds don't mind being impolite and telling you that it's not all about you, Rory. It's about other people. Yeah. Um, so that sort of started me on this, this quest to find out what went wrong. And I started studying child psychology and how they view what I was doing, which is very different, you know. Um, and that, you know. If I make something levitate for a four-year-old, they don't think it's very impressive because they still believe that people fly. So why is that impressive? You're making a- That's right, yeah. Superman does that all the time. <laughs> What's wrong with what? you, dude? <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so that kind of got me, um, you know, after the two-year layoff and like lots of work on like, you know, pursuing other things and passion and my own identity, um, I came to this place where, and I'm still coming to it. It's like an everyday process of finding out who I am. But that's really my passion is finding is identity. Like I want to know who I am. And as a result, I also want to know who you are. Right. So and who other people are. 
Uh, and so that's really what brought me to the passion of communications. Because what I do, like from a magic standpoint, you have to overcome this prejudice of like, when people found out I was a magician, they go, oh great, my kids would love it. Or like, where, you know, do you wear a top hat? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> no, um, it's the study of human behavior. And when you understand how people think, you can use it to manipulate them, which is what, you know, what bad salespeople do. Um, or, you know, lots of people do it in business. Magicians do it to give you the wow moment. Um, or you can use the same skill to build long-term relationships and use that information to help, to help people, essentially. And it's not only the, the good side of it. I've, I've always found this thing that, you know, I, I'm a longtime studier of, of behavioral psychology as a hobby, which is probably the weirdest hobby ever. <laughs> uh, and even like audited a bunch of classes that are like three and 400 level, you know, behavioral psych classes. Just kind of funny that I'm like, they have no idea who I am. They just, they're just giving out <laughs> lectures. You think if you're in the business of reading people, you'd know that one of the people, one of these things is not like the others, not registered <laughs> at the school, just because I'm employed. But what I, what I came to love was this, you know, my tome that taught me everything about technology and, and how to raise my, my profile in business. It was, it's DSM-4, which is the, the mm. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And <laughs> why it's important to me was because it taught me how the worst can occur in people. And so I always knew like, Ooh, like it taught you why it happens. And you really, you, I would map it to like the way that people would have like negative behaviors and like, well, here's what it could actually map to in the, the, the actual physiological reasons why it occurred and stuff. And mm. so when you talk about like people getting into sales, I know tons of people that get into sales when the market's great. And it's mm. like, oh, this is easy. Like, why don't I get into sales instead of what I do? Because it just basically, these checks write themselves. But then they re when it actually becomes a hard job, right? Like 2008, yeah. I had tons of people that were getting into, you know, into doing mutual funds and day trading. And all of a sudden they realized like, oh, wow, that only works when it just works automatically. Yeah. And all of a sudden they just, they didn't have, they didn't have it in them to do that thing. So I think that what you've done is like, you know, coming to like the hard times and then still doing something on the other side of that and saying like, all right, what did I just learn from that like, kind of really crappy moment or crappy behavior that occurred? And then taking that into the next thing. And, and that's tough for people to get through. And I think that's what's neat. Like that's the, that's what I love about the communication process. It's mm. you got to be able to be ready when it goes sideways. Cause if you walk into the room, like with yeah. the room full of four-year-olds and you're like, this is going to be a lock. They're going to pull stuff from behind their ear. They're going to be amazed. <laughs> if I would have done that, it would probably work. That, that was why I used to love working in like working desktop support. That was my mailroom gig. You know, I did <laughs> desktop support for people that made hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and you had to help them like change their password. So it wasn't their thing, like that, but it was, and it was funny. Like you'd watch like their frustration with that thing. And you realize like if you go in and, if I just made it about how like, I know how to do this and thus you're less worth than me because I know how to do this really fast. It became very much like, oh, okay, so what, why does this frustrate you? Like what, you know, what can I do to make this experience better for you? 
And, mm. you know, like you said, it's the thing of like, this is not, this is not the me show, right? Like when you suddenly really dig into what they're experiencing and like exploring that with them, then it becomes like super cool. You come away from, from getting browbeaten by four-year-olds about poor yeah. magic. <laughs> uh, what, what, what was your next step then? What, what did you think like, okay, this is, this is how I'm going to do something different. Well, it was questions, right? So I first wanted to understand what, what happened there. So I put together a really good kids show, right? And there was no pressure on me to perform. Um, you know, it's, it's not like high paying gigs or anything. And then I started wondering if I could do that same sort of stuff for CEOs in the corporate environment and how, if it would be received. Make sure to stay tuned and listen to the next edition as we continue our conversation with Rory. Big thanks as we go even deeper into the magic of marketing and the progression of Rory's career and the way that you're going to see and hear about how events and communications spawned a brand new industry for Rory and for many others. You're listening to today's Cool Palsy Podcast.